I invite you to join with me in a word of prayer. Lord, I am so grateful for the scriptures and especially what they teach us about prayer and having a relationship with you. Lord, help us understand this prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. Help us understand what it means that you're a good provider and you do give us our bread daily. And I, as the preacher, ask that you would help me as I preach now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Since we're doing a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, and it only occurs in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, to to have the gospel reading be the Lord's Prayer each week didn't seem helpful to me. And so I thought, let's do a paraphrase. And I want to note, that's a paraphrase. That's not a translation. So obviously, there's huge liberties being taken there. But keep in mind, the Lord's Prayer is both an actual literal prayer and a form that can be used to fabricate your own sentences according to some themes. And that's what Eugene Peterson has done with that in the message. So I I like it. Um, There's some limitations to it, but it's helpful to occasionally hear it in a different way. So today, I want to look at just the phrase, um, well, as Peterson put it, keep us alive with three square meals, but more traditionally, give us this day our daily bread. So I want to to focus in just on that line today. And, um, you know, we, we, we have a varying relationship with food. And I sometimes have thought, just give me one pill in the morning that gets rid of the need for meals, and I'll take it. But then, you know, I wrote that in my sermon, and then this morning I got up to pray, and I had a cup of tea, and Heather made this really tasty rum cake for dinner last night, and I cut a slice of it, and as I ate it with my tea, I thought, okay, I repent of the one pill idea. (laughs) This is really tasty. You know, but I'm tempted to say, ah, forget food altogether. Other people would call themselves foodies, you know, foodies, someone who studies different types of food, looks at the cool new restaurants all over town, is always looking for some new combination of ingredients, and it becomes like a way of life. I would put those on kind of opposite poles when it comes to our relationship with food. Also, keep in mind, um, we are, most of us are in an abundance of food. Whereas I read these stats this week, that 10% of Americans live below the federal poverty line. One out of 10. And globally, one out of 10 people lives on $2 a day or less. And so it's like getting perspective. Now, some of you have experienced in your life food scarcity, where you've not had adequate food to actually have a healthy meal. Many of us, myself included, have never known a need for food, and I thank God for that. But as a result of this, we have varying relationships with food. And, and by the way, when we say, give us this day our daily bread, bread is symbolic of all that is necessary for physical life, not literally just a loaf of bread, but more like what sustains our physical life. And so <clears throat> I, I read a quote in um, Mere Christianity where C.S. Lewis says, starving men may think much about food, but so do gluttons. And he's trying, again, to point out the poles of how people interact with food and possessions. That's why this passage from Proverbs, I think, is so helpful. It seems to strike that line right down the middle where he says, um, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. 
I, I read an account of um, somebody that was a, a Christian, a very wealthy man, and was heavily invested in the Enron company that um, had that huge scheme, basically, and was a, a lot of fraud, and something like $74 billion were lost, and many people lost their retirements. That happened back in 2001. In Houston, we were living there at the time, so everyone was talking about Enron, and it was this uh, record scandal of, I think, uh, I think the CEO's 25 years in jail. He should be coming out pretty soon, actually. But it was a huge scandal. And this Christian man um, who lost a lot of money had this quote. He said, I have repeatedly acknowledged to God that my wealth comes from him. I've asked that if at any point he thought it would be better for me spiritually to not have it, that he would please take it away. I trust that is what he has done, and I'm content with that. Wow. Could we pray the same? I'm so impressed with that, the maturity of that. This is a man who understands that God is his provider, and God will provide what he needs. And that's the opening question I have when we get into this topic. Do I trust that God will provide what I need? Or am I tempted to try and get it for myself, to somehow secure my needs in my own efforts and strengths, because I'm not sure if God will show up in the right moment? Do I trust that God is my provider? Now, our problems with material things, food, wealth, all that sort of stuff, fall into all sorts of different categories. Gluttony, poverty, materialism, self-reliance. I mean, there is no so-called self-made man, because where did you get the intelligence? Where did you get the physical strength? Where did you get the opportunity? You grew up in a country that gave you education, all that, all that kind of stuff. Or what about worry? Even if you have the stuff, there's a tendency to worry that I'll lose it, that it'll be taken away, that some calamity will wipe out what I depend on, and that sort of thing. Now, the Lord's Prayer on this line, give us this day our daily bread, hits all of these square in the face. And now, Peterson is hitting the idea of physical things, but the Lord's Prayer is bigger than that. I told you, it's like the ocean. You can splash around on the surface, or you can go down and explore the 3,000-foot depth below that. As you start to look into this, historically, there have been different interpretations of what this line in the Lord's Prayer means, and I think all of them are right. One would be physical food, physical material things that we need for life. Another one would be the, the spiritual enrichment we need from God. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So physical food is important, but it's not ultimate. We need God to spiritually feed us. And then, of course, as, as a, a liturgical people, a sacramental people, we pray the Lord's Prayer every day, before, every Sunday before we have his supper. And so the third view of this prayer would be the Eucharist. It's actually pointing to the sacrament that Jesus gave us. So physical food, spiritual food, and actually the sacrament are three historical ways that we can take this. And I think it, I think it hits all of them. So now keep in mind the order of the prayer. <clears throat> We've prayed that God's name would be magnified, glorified, praised in the world, and we've prayed that his will would be done and his kingdom would come. So we're now God-focused. The next thing is then to say, give us this day our daily bread, because if I'm going to live for God's glory, for his kingdom, for his will, and do what we pray, send us out to do the work you've given us to do, I need the physical strength and energy to do it. And where does that come from? Well, we actually have to eat to nourish our bodies. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Renovation of the Heart, takes the human and parses a human out into the components and looks at each one. 
You've got a mind, you've got emotions, you've got a network of relationships, you've got, um, you've got a spiritual, you've got a soul, you've got a, a heart, you've got a physical body. There's all kinds of stuff that goes together. And he said the physical body is like a battery pack for the soul. It allows you to interact with God's created order. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't be able to go out and do the things God has given us to do. We, we, we need that. Now, it's not, though, just an energy pack. There's more to this. And the food is not just fuel to go live. The scriptures do quite often talk of a banquet, a feast. You know, it's, there's, a, there's a spectrum from fasting to feasting. And you start studying this topic, you find that things like God gave them a land the promised land was a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, it would have abundant resources and food, and not just like wheat, but like milk and honey, sweet and, and rich. And Jesus' first miracle, he turned water into wine at a, at a wedding. I mean, Jesus was the, the center of the party always. He was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Not because he was a drunkard and a glutton. I promise you that. He was sinless. However, he went to parties where there were drunkards and gluttons, and he drank and he ate and he celebrated. And people just assumed that he was just reveling in all of this kind of indulgence. But Jesus understood something, that he received God's provision with a joyful heart. Whether it was 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, that's what God's provision was for him in that moment, or to have wine and food at a wedding feast. There's so much in the scripture about this. Jesus says, you though you are evil, give good gifts to your children. How much more your heavenly father give good things to those who ask him. If any of us in here are parents, we know how much it pleases us to actually, we call it spoiling our children. We don't really want to spoil them, but, but blessing them abundantly. My daughter's home this week for spring break, and she's all into gardening. And over Christmas, we built two raised bed garden beds, but there's nothing in them. And so she wanted to get topsoil and stuff, and she had her, uh, her debit card, and she was ready to pay for it, and it was, you know, like 50 or 100 bucks or whatever it was, and I, I jumped in with mine and paid for it, and which blessed me even more than I think it blessed her, right? And I'm, I'm in that category. I'm a sinful, fallen person, and, it, and Jesus is saying, you sinners know how to do this for your kids. How much more will your good heavenly father do this for his children? This is who our God is. And so we see something about the abundance and the blessing and the feasting in the scriptures. Jesus was accused or asked why his disciples don't fast like John the Baptist's disciples fast. I don't know how they did it. They had a pattern of two days a week they fasted or whatever. Jesus' guys didn't do that. And his answer was, can the, can the wedding guests mourn while the bridegroom is present? I mean, it's, it's a fitting question, right? It would be rude to go to someone's wedding celebration and be like, no. I've given up sweets and alcohol and whatever, and I, no, I'm not eating meat, and, and I'll just take a side salad. Like, that doesn't honor the host of that party. And Jesus is saying, they will fast, but right now the bridegroom is present. And so it was a wedding feast. He, Christ had come for his bride, the church. And so he, he recognized that. So celebration is, is an important thing. It's not all about ascetic practices. If Jesus' word to the young rich ruler to sell everything, give it to the poor, and then follow him was to apply to every one of his followers, we would have a major economic problem. The world systems would fall down, all of the Christians would be begging, and the pagans wouldn't have any reason to want to follow their way of life. 
In fact, we'd be a burden on them. And the scriptures don't want that. We are, we are given a teaching to care for our family. It's not wrong to save for retirement. It's not wrong um, to provide for your family. So there's this balance, right? And, that, and that's where it's so hard to walk those kind of fine lines through the scriptures. And so we come into this topic that's a really, really tricky one. Now, I don't know how legalistic you are about your Lenten disciplines, but I have always treated Sundays in Lent as a feast day. There are 40 days in Lent. If you count from Ash Wednesday to Easter, you have to skip Holy Week if you're not going to take Sundays off. Or you can include Holy Week if you take the Sundays off in between. You get 40 days either way. I personally take Sundays off of those disciplines of whatever I give up. And I think it's a good reminder that we are already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We've been raised, we have been raised with him. We are participating in the Eucharistic feast on the Lord's day. That's a good balance to have, I think. But, you know, do whatever you've resolved to do in your prayers. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to actually take the individual words of this phrase of the Lord's Prayer and comment on them. The first word being give. It sounds so direct. It it can sound demanding, although I don't think it's meant to. To say, give us this day our daily bread has everything to do with the intonation and the heart of it. Give us this day our bread, demanding, or more, much more like, please give us this day our daily bread. But our, our Heavenly Father is not put out when His children ask for the things that they need. And so He teaches us to go to Him as children, asking for what they need. None of us as parents are upset when our kids ask for what they need nor is our Heavenly Father. And note, there's nothing in the Lord's Prayer that is praying for the poor, injustice, the marginalized, but give us picks that up. When I pray, give us this day, I'm not just praying for my needs, I'm praying for the people's needs. So this would include those that are marginalized, those that are poor, those that don't have enough. We are praying with a community, not just as individuals. And then that word daily, this is one that the, that's really tough in the Greek because there's, there's, there's a Greek construction here with give us this day our daily bread. It's more like give us today the bread for tomorrow, but it only occurs in the Matthew 6 and the Luke 11 in the New Testament. And one, one dictionary I looked at said it only occurs in those two places in all of classical Greek. That construction, that word is just, it's, it's like absent. So we have to speculate on what it means N.T. Wright, the Bishop Wright, um, who has done a lot of theological work and published, said he thinks it's pointing to the fact that we are in the already but not yet. Christ's kingdom has already come with his first visit, and he's inaugurated, but he has not already fixed everything and consummated it. So we're kind of in an overlap of the ages. And so he says it's like praying, give us today the bread of the kingdom that is about to come. Give us today tomorrow's type of bread. I'll let you debate that, but what is clear is we're not praying, give us a storehouse of stuff so that we can just take it as we want. No, it's, it's meant to be moment by moment, day by day. God chooses to feed us out of the palm of his hand rather than out of a storehouse. And think of the manna in the wilderness. The manna was there like due in the morning every day, and God said, take only what you need for that day, and then whatever was left over turned into worms and rotted. It's not because it was inadequate or bad manna. It's because God wanted to feed them every single day. Except on the Sabbath, he gave enough for two days and it didn't turn into worms. The point was, I want you to learn to trust me. I'm your good provider and I will give you what you need. 
And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread, moment by moment. I was reading um, Kevin DeYoung's commentary on the Lord's Prayer, and he's got uh, nine children, unlike Curtis, who only has seven. And, and he entered his um, name in some contest for oodles of noodles, and he won a year's supply of oodles of noodles. And when he learned that he won, he pictured like a dump truck backing up to their house and like pouring all this, and he got a lame stack of 12 coupons, one good for each month, where he could go and get a box of oodles of noodles, you know. He was like, ugh, such a disappointment. He wanted the big storehouse. He wanted his entire pantry full of it so he could see how, how much he had to live off of. But that's not how the Lord does it either. He does want us to go moment by moment, day by day. He'll provide what you need this day. And Jesus said, let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. It's, today's cares are enough for today. So when we, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, that's, that's what we're praying. And then interesting, the word our, not just bread, but our bread. There's a kind of a possessiveness to it. It belongs to us. We're, we're claiming something. We're saying, give us this day our daily bread. Think about that. It, it's helpful because, one, if I was to sit down at an empty table with a plate in front of me and pray, okay, God, give us this day our daily bread, I'm going to be still looking at an empty plate because he's not likely to manifest a, a turkey sandwich in front of me. He expects us to sow and reap and harvest and process food and make the stuff and do our part. He provides what is necessary for that. He gives us the strength, the energy, so we have a part in working for our food. He's still the one who ultimately is providing all that is necessary for it to happen, but it's also our food and not their food. So we don't have this prayer answered by, by sloth or by thievery. I'm not going to take what is yours and claim that God is providing my lunch by stealing your lunch. No, God recognizes private property in this instance. And so he wants us to work for our food, and he wants us to respect property. That's an important teaching. And especially being mindful of the poor. So this is where it gets complicated into the world's systems. If I get my food by exploiting someone else, is it my food or is it their food? Now I'm not, I'm not living in a just way. All of a sudden, I'm praying for the world's systems to work well and with justice and goodness and so that there would be enough for all. And then lastly, the word bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Anyone who's hungry and comes to me will never hunger. So he gives us what we really need. And I like how the Apostle Paul says, I know what it is to have lots, and I know what it is to have little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context, by the way, of that famous verse. We know the verse, but we don't realize Paul is talking about having abundance or scarcity in terms of material provisions. And he's saying, I know what it is to have both, and it's my strength comes from Christ. He is my bread. He is what I need. So I want to encourage you as you think through this topic to lean into God, to question whether or not you do in fact trust him, to hear these words of Jesus who says, don't be anxious about your life, about what you eat or what you drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Very helpful rhetorical question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
And he goes on, he talks about Solomon being arrayed in all his, uh, the splendor of all his clothing. He says, look at the lilies of the field. They don't, they don't toil or spin clothing, and they're glorious because God has taken care of them. And they're just the flowers of the field that are here today and gone tomorrow. You are more important to God than these things. Jesus is teaching us to have a perspective on stuff. And he comes down to this conclusion. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. God will provide. And I want to encourage you, don't hang on too, too, um, too tightly to what you have or hope and stuff, but also receive it with a, with a gratitude in your heart. I still... In the back of my neighborhood, there's a dock that goes out to Doctor's Lake, and there's all this Spanish moss. It's a really long dock. And every time, 15 years now, every time I walk back there, I praise God for the beauty of his creation and that he lets me live in Florida. And I have a kayak, and I go out on the lake sometimes, and I just think, this is amazing. After 15 years, it has never gotten old. But then I start, and then then it starts in. I should get a powerboat, because this kayak's kind of (laughs) slow. And boy, what I really need, and 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 the thing happens... You know, I can't just enjoy it right for what it is, right in the moment, and be grateful. I have to start to own it. My heart wants to possess the stuff. Like if somehow I owned the lake, then I could really enjoy it. And in reality, you know, you know the jokes about boats and bring out another thousand and a hole in the water and water you pour money into and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, the possessions start to possess. So I'm grateful for all of you that have those things and let me borrow them. I praise God and thank him for those things, but I'm trying so hard not to own them. So hold on loosely, but do it with a grateful heart. So much more is coming later. Your hope is not in this life, but I think it pleases the Lord when we receive his gifts with joy. And so let me conclude by going to a day when the Spirit of God was powerfully upon the people. At the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, it says that they shared their possessions freely with anyone in the community that had need. No one needed anything. Can you imagine a community of people where no one needed anything because generosity was so big? It says, day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. It's not surprising God added to their number people day by day that were being saved. They received their food their bread, if you will, with glad and generous hearts. I think that is what we're called to do. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, all of that is in that one line. So let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for your goodness. You are so generous to us and we don't deserve it. I thank you for your love. I thank you. I thank you for the gift of food and clothing and houses and all the stuff we enjoy. Lord, would you help us walk that line between being controlled by it or being afraid to not have it. Lord, help us to trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.